Good grief. <laughs> I'm Pastor Rob Myles, and welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. And I'm thinking about uh, not just Charlie Brown this week, but but good grief. And what does it mean to grieve well? This Lent, we've been having encounters with Jesus in the Gospel of John. And this week, we have a really powerful encounter with uh, two sisters, Mary and Martha, both of whom are grieving the death of their of their brother Lazarus, who is also a friend of Jesus, whom whom we'll see actually Jesus uh, grieves as well, and so it's an opportunity for us in a culture that is increasingly forgetting how to grieve well to to uh, consider how we might uh, grieve well, uh, have good grief, and uh, grief with Jesus. So we'll continue our pondering. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him and met him while Mary stayed home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were there with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. The story that we find in John chapter 11 of Jesus visiting the town of Lazarus after he has died includes so many powerful encounters. Uh, There's the community that's gathered. There's Mary, and then there's Martha, and even then Jesus, as he has to process his own grief over this death. So it's just a a powerful story that I think it's easy for us to find ourselves in uh, and to remind ourselves and really be reminded, if not even sort of mentally transported, back to those times of grief 
in our lives. And so today I'd like to reflect a bit with you on grief uh, through the lens of, of John chapter 11. And I want to, uh, doing so, I'd, I'd hope to lift up some ways in which I think we can grieve healthily, um, but also offer some, some commentary, some reflection on ways in which I see right now in our culture, uh, some ways that, that we're um, not allowing each other uh, to grieve, in which we're really um, developing some practices that I think are, are ultimately counterproductive. Um, and suggesting some uh, some ways forward for you and and your uh, families, and so the way I, I would like to sort of then get into this before we right dig into sort of the the actual story is just you know your story and in your life um, what have been some significant deaths that you've uh, grieved and. Uh, how has your family grieved? How, how does your family grieve as a whole? Oftentimes, families have traditions and, and rituals and, and ways of, of doing it. I was recently burying, or yes, I was at the, the graveside for the burial of, of a woman whose funeral I had uh, presided over. And, and the family at the end got out a shovel and they just started you know, digging. And I was kind of a, a little bit confused. I'm, you know, that's kind of the job of the undertaker, but they explained that in their family, they had actually been undertakers and that, you know, at every funeral in their family, everybody afterwards went to the gravesite and everybody uh, took a shovel of the dirt and, and put it back into the hole and participated in the act of burial. I don't think that would work for every family, but it was really powerful to be a part of that and, and to see that. Um, again, uh, families have their own different rituals, uh, and I'm curious what, what happens in, in your family. In uh, John chapter 11, the first encounter that I'd like us to point to is actually not just between Jesus and one of the, the people in the story, but actually the whole crowd, the whole community has, has gathered around Mary and Martha. And they're likely grieving the death of Lazarus themselves, but they're there to honor and to, to comfort uh, Mary and Martha in their grief. And there's a Jewish tradition, it's called sitting shiva, and the point uh, is to just sit with somebody. Uh, uh, shiv means to sit or to dwell, and you just spend time with the grieving, you gather. And although this is a particular you know, Jewish tradition, really all religions, all cultures have this, this pattern, this uh, acknowledged need for, for us to, to come together. And, and to gather and, and to, be, um, to be companions, to be those who break bread together, who, again, spend time. Specifically, though, the word uh, that is used, it's an unusual word in Greek, the word for in, uh, comfort here, that the, the people were comforting Mary and Martha. And, and the word, um, it's an unusual Greek word, paramethos, which you don't have to know, but uh, it, it comes from the word para, which means around, and mythos, or mythos, which means story. And so the word here for encourage is really surround with stories. And that's what they're doing uh, to Mary and Martha. They're surrounding them with stories. I have found time and time and again 
that sharing stories is such an important part of grieving. Whether this is formally done during a eulogy or more likely in the, the kind of gatherings as people often come home or just be with each other. Uh, there's again this, this human instinct to sort of, you know, draw together after the death of somebody um, in various, you know, phone calls that people make and over uh, meals afterward and so forth. And, and that's just so uh, beautiful and, and powerful. And what happens too is that when we share stories of somebody, we, we don't bring them back to life, but they, well, they, they, we still, we have such, it sort of evokes such fondness in, in our hearts. And, and sometimes too, it's kind of fun because we learn new things about a person. I mean, some stories we all know and we love to tell, but other stories, it's, you know, from, from a different part of a person's life. Like at my grandmother's funeral, learning about, you know, her in, a, in different decades that I wasn't even alive was, was so meaningful uh, for me. And so I, I can't uh, help enough and encourage enough to, to sh- encourage families to share these stories. And I would even say, too, in our culture today, in which we have such awesome medical technology, in which we can keep people alive for a long time, there's often situations in which people uh, are, know that they're uh, going to die, um, but they're not. They're not yet dead. And I think that can be a really beautiful and powerful time for families to share stories. I know we did that with my grandmother uh, before she died, and it was just beautiful to say things to her while she was alive that would have been said at the funeral and for all of us to have those uh, treasured memories. We actually did it with a candle, and everybody sort of would share a memory and then put like a little piece of wax, and then she sort of had this candle. And then after she died, then we had still this candle, this sort of of, of memory. So I, I can't uh, encourage enough um, the, the sharing of, of stories, uh, just like those first uh, Jews were doing for uh, Mary and Martha. But let's acknowledge here that this isn't always how it happens. We live in a world of lots of technology and communication. That means that people often live far away. And that uh, often it's, it's difficult for, for people to gather. Um, there's a, a real way in uh, which uh, times and schedules are, are, are very complex. Um, I know families that, uh, you know, end up having to wait you know, weeks, um, you know, months to, to do a funeral. And I just can't implore people enough, like beg, beg you, do not wait too long to do a funeral. Otherwise, the family that's close has really done a lot of uh, grieving. And then the people that are out of town come back and people are just at different points in their grief and kind of everybody has to start over. I, I just can't say enough. I, I know that in the uh, age of, of busy schedules um, and cremation, people can put off funerals. I, I would just beg and implore people to not put it off uh, that much. It just really is a human need that we have to, to gather uh, together. Well, the, the person that Jesus first encounters, though, on a one-on-one basis is uh, Martha. And Martha comes to him and Martha says something that she just, it's a haunting question, but it's a sort of like a, a straightforward one, the way she says it. Like, if you had been there, you weren't, my brother would be alive, but he's not. 
And it's, you know, it's not necessarily loaded. It's just more of a, a sort of a statement uh, about, about uh, Jesus's power. And then there were just is this whole conversation that they have about resurrection and death and life and who Jesus is. And Jesus even handing over the promise that he's the resurrection and the life. I think there's a way in which when we uh, experience somebody's death, we have a lot of questions. I think almost everybody at some point has said some variant of, you know, Lord, if you had been here, this person wouldn't have died. Um, you know, or where is God and how, if, if there's a God, was this allowed to happen? I, I just, I don't think the, those, those questions are just kind of part of, of, of human nature when we encounter the, the bitterness and sorrow of death. And, uh, and I think uh, for a lot of people, in fact, the, the death of a loved one can be a time when their, their spiritual curiosities awakened. You know, is, are we really just simply a collection of, of chemicals? And when our chemicals uh, are no more, is, is that all that we were, um, right? If the breath is no longer, if our lungs are no longer breathing, um, are, we, are we still somebody? Um, and is there, again, something spiritual about us? Is there a resurrection? Is there life after death? I think these questions are, are again, are just, are going to be there in, in our hearts and in our minds. Um, and I think they're, they're perfectly normal, even if they have a bit of doubt or frustration uh, along with them. One of the things that becomes tougher for me to help people with such questions at a funeral is that uh, Jesus and Martha have a common language. Uh, you know, words like resurrection, the last day, um, Messiah. These are, these are words that as first century Jews, they, they had a sense of. Again, they had a, a common language about, about God's work in, in ultimate redemption of all things. One of the, again, the challenging pieces right now for us is that we um, aren't necessarily um, an unchristian society, but we're definitely becoming more post-Christian or more of a pluralistic society where if you look at people, especially under the age of, I don't know what the line is, 60, 50, 40, um, you, know, you start to get just a, a tremendous variety of, of sort of faith practices um, or sort of people who find their, their meaning and value in things um, that aren't explicitly religions, even though we could maybe make an argument that they have religious functions in their lives. But what, what I'm getting at here is that when I'm working with a family and I you know, want to read scripture or something, and I mentioned this in my sermon recently, that you know, even something like the 23rd Psalm, it's just not known by people, especially when they're younger. Like, they, they listen to it, and they, like, aesthetically appreciate it. They're like, wow, that's a really pretty poem. But, again, it's, I don't know if it's much different as if I had opened up, you know, to Shakespeare or Walt Whitman. They're just, there's a respect for it because of its own internal beauty, but they're not, there's no resonance. And when you don't sort of have, then, this common framework, it, it, it becomes more difficult. And I can't tell you how many funerals I've done for somebody who's older and was a lifelong, you know, church member. And they even, they didn't even have, just have a Bible. They had a hymnal and they, you know, had written hymns that they loved. And 
you know, and then we look at them and they're just hymns that nobody would know. They're from like this kid's childhood experiences at, you know, a Bible camp back in like the 30s or 40s or something. And and a lot of times in those cases, I'll just offer to sing it as a solo uh, at, at the funeral. Um, and I'm curious, when in your family have you seen that where as you've tried to gather for a funeral, you've just realized that the piety or the faith of the one who died um, was an inspiration um, a living legacy in many ways, one that encouraged you um, for sure. I'll get to that a little bit later, but also when you just saw the sort of the fact that, again, there wasn't necessarily a common framework to sort of process and, and sort of speak about, you know, what, what was actually, you know, what our hope was. The next encounter is with Mary. And Mary and Jesus don't say much. And so I'm not going to say too much about Mary now other than Mary is broken up. She doesn't want a theological discourse. She doesn't want sort of metaphysical musings about the nature of the cosmos or death, or she doesn't want to hear about the last day. She simply is lamenting. Um, She is worshipful, but she's lamenting. And I want to just give you permission to weep and, and to cry over the death of loved ones. Uh, and, and I'd be curious, where in your life um, have, have you felt that we aren't given that permission anymore? Uh, you know, with the sort of the movement away from even calling it funerals or, um, or memorial services to sort of, you know, celebrations of life or even in cases where I've had a lot of funerals of families that I do at least one a year where the family members have decided not to have a funeral for whatever reason, but the people that I know in the church are still grieving. And so I want to say, yeah, like you need a space and a place to grieve. And so I, I, I want to say I think we really uh, are in a, in a time period, um, and I think it actually has to do with, with our sense that the Lord is not living, the Lord is not necessarily with us in the same way, I think we're afraid of, of letting go into our grief and not ever being able to come out of it. It's so sort of strong. I think we're also um, not believing in the resurrection really as a society anymore. And, and so I think death becomes so final that I, I think we just can't sort of face it anymore. And, and all this to say that um, I would just invite for a more personal reflection, are there people who you felt like you were never given permission to really grieve their death, either because you didn't have time, circumstances didn't allow, the family didn't allow it, sort of you were told either for secular or for religious reasons you weren't around allowed to grieve. Um, and, and to just uh, say that it's, it's okay. It's okay um, to grieve. And, and I think what really suggests that it's okay to grieve here is that Jesus himself weeps. Um, and, and Jesus, in fact, the, the word here is that Jesus grows angry. Um, and, and the, the actual verb here is, um, his nostril snort. Like Jesus is so agitated and so riled up seeing Mary grieve. And some commentators have said, well, he's angry at them for their lack of faith. But that doesn't seem to make sense given that he never talks angrily to them, but instead goes and shouts at, you know, <laughs> at the tombstone. Um, so I, I want to just um, uh, allow us 
to to hear that you you can grieve the death of loved ones. There's nothing unchristian about this. Even Jesus himself is is torn up in his spirit as he sees Mary. And in fact, it's this motivation, um, this sense that death is is cruel, um, that, it, that it has too much power, that is what motivates Jesus himself to go to the cross and to defeat it. I want to touch briefly at the end on the unbinding of Lazarus, that the one who was dead lives on. And for us as Christians, we have a powerful sense that, again, our loved ones live on in Jesus Christ forever and we'll be reunited with them when all of creation is restored. However, there is a more practical or I think more down-to-earth way in which I think this is an important part of grieving. And, And what I mean is that when we acknowledge that a person has died, what we're also saying is that the the goodness of that person is no longer available to the world. Again, the goodness of that person is no longer available to the world. So uh, each person um, is, a, is a mixture of, of weaknesses, failures, um, sins, but also some really beautiful and wonderful things that made them uh, uniquely who they were. And when they die, the world is now sort of robbed of that of their goodness. And I think one of the ways that we can actually grieve is to think about the person that has died and think about, you know, one way or one thing that they did or one way that they were and how we might try to honor them by by doing that. And to kind of bring it full circle, the other way too is to is to share those uh stories. Uh keep sharing the stories about them. Um especially the stories of their faith, uh, because I find that uh, the real treasure of, of the saints uh, in sort of history and also in our own families is, is the way in which those who are, are dead become alive in the Spirit as um, we, we hear about their faith and we, we hear from them uh, the, the call to, to carry on. Uh, to believe and to uh, triumph ultimately in Christ.